In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about a woman who has lived in cancer land in many different ways since she was a small child. At the beginning of my writing workshops, I like to go around the Zoom room in our very first meeting and have everyone share their breast cancer stats, how old they were at diagnosis, what type of breast cancer it was, maybe something about their treatment. But before I turn the workshop participants loose on this question, I give them two caveats. One, keep it under two minutes. After all, we don't want to devolve into a support group. And two, try to draw out the unique to them aspect of their experience. I want them to share what's unique about their breast cancer experience. I tell them this doesn't mean that no one else on the planet has had this experience. Rather, it's more about what about their experience was unique to them. I share that in my own experience, because I was breastfeeding at the time I found my lump, every single part of my experience from that moment to today is colored by the fact that I went through breast cancer while parenting a little one. All of my decisions were impacted in some part because of the existence of her. For instance, I opted against breast mound reconstruction because I wanted to minimize surgeries and get back to parenting in a hands-on way that I was used to. That was my unique-to-me experience. So we go around the Zoom room, and some people know instantly the aspects of their story that are unique to them, and some don't. But I tell those ones, don't worry. This is why you're here. This is what writing will do for you. It will help you find your unique stories. Some of us have breast cancer stories that begin the day we find our lump or the day we are diagnosed. That's our initiation to this strange new land. Others, though, their stories began a long time ago. This was the case for my guest today. She's no stranger to cancer land. My guest is Amy Hartle. Long before she was diagnosed herself, Amy experienced breast cancer through watching her mother face it when she was young. And then Amy was diagnosed with the BRCA gene mutation as a young adult. And then at 41, she was diagnosed with stage one hormone positive breast cancer. She's seen some things in this life. Amy likes to say she lives at the intersection of personal and professional experience in cancer land. And as you'll see from her story today in our discussion, Amy has turned a lifetime under the shadow of breast cancer into a career that helps others step back into the sun after their own diagnosis. Her life beyond breast cancer includes loving the day-to-day life in Buffalo, New York, and eating and drinking her way around the world with her husband, which she's doing at this very minute. As we record, Amy and her husband are in Portugal. 
So I bring you all of this and just want to focus on the fact that we are about to hear a story that is one person's unique breast cancer experience. And as you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to find your own unique stories. Hey, Amy, welcome to The Burn. Thanks, April. I am so glad to be here. So glad to have you. So you are reading a piece you wrote called The More Things Change, The Less They Stay the Same, which was part of our cancer culture issue, an issue that you had a huge role in creating. You were the guest editor and the cover model. So after you read, we'll talk about your story that you read here today and also some behind the scenes on the creation of that issue for us together. And those of you listening, stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. All right, Amy, I'll let you take it away. Thank you, April. The more things change, the less they stay the same. She walked in from the garage, still holding the knob to the laundry room door with a big smile on her face, looking at me nervously and with hope in her eyes. Oh my God, I yelled and covered my mouth with my hands as recognition set in. For just a moment, my mom was almost unrecognizable to me. The short-styled, blonde hair so different from when she'd left the house a little while ago. Her smile faded and her eyes fell as she let go of the doorknob to reach up and pull off the wig. Tears welled up as she came into the kitchen and put down her purse and her new hair that no longer made her feel pretty nor hopeful. I tried to recover and tell her how nice she looked, that I was just surprised by the change. But there were no take-backs in this particular game. The wig would be returned because, despite it being trimmed and shaped just for her, it could now never be worn. That moment wasn't my fault. It wasn't hers either. My reaction was just more proof that everything was changing, and she couldn't hide from what cancer would bring, nor did she have any idea how to do what cancer demanded of her. There were no guideposts, no coaches, no helpful books on how to make this easier on us all. My mom was only 39 when she was diagnosed and treated for breast cancer. I was 12 at the time. As a young breast cancer patient 33 years ago, she was in the wild west of navigating her diagnosis, treatment, and support. When she walked this path, there was no online community to let her know she wasn't alone. The doctors actually assured her she was, as they marveled over her being the youngest patient they'd treated. She learned what the red devil really meant, as unsure of how much to give, her doctors pumped her full of 10 rounds of it while simultaneously starting her on radiation and then suggesting since she was doing so well, maybe they'd go for a couple more. She was sure she would die from treatment, if not the cancer itself, and no one really confirmed otherwise. The women she met who are also going through it were twice her age and sharing pictures of their grandkids not raising three children, ages 12, three, and six months. There was no guidance on how to explain to her little ones why mommy couldn't get out of bed or that she'd be coming home with new hair one day. The pink ribbon campaign and the fundraising walks had just begun. And while we did do a few together, she pushing a stroller and wearing her pink survivor shirt, she eventually stopped signing up in favor of letting the fear, the pain, the memories of suffering from treatment fade to the recesses of her heart and mind to be kept as quiet secrets instead of worn on her chest among a proud sea of pink. 29 years later, I received my own diagnosis, and for all that remained the same, 
the fear, the grief, the familiar and brutal drugs that both gave and took so much. Our experiences couldn't have been more different. I live in a world where digital connection is understood and accepted, and community is no longer a word with geographical boundaries. As soon as I was diagnosed, I had dozens of Facebook groups to join and Instagram accounts to follow so that I could ask questions and seek advice. I have never been on alone on this journey. My doctors walked me through detailed protocol options and laid out various statistics based on diagnostic testing with data to back up my choices. I knew it might be hard, but I also knew that I would get through to the other side of this with a plan, just like so many others had before me. I shaved my head with a smile and shared it on social media as people cheered me on. And even though I owned a wig or two, I was more comfortable in a soft cap and many days felt just as beautiful, blatantly bald. The drain robes, special pillows, seatbelt covers, uniquely designed bras, and other resourceful and innovative tools, both practical and comforting, amazed my mom. Each time she exclaimed, wow, we didn't have anything like this. I even found access to parenting help, and I'm a non-parent. When I went looking for support and community, I found women across the world who were kindred in both experience and spirit, and I could leave those who weren't to themselves. Above all, I had my mom, who was there to remind me that if she could do what she did and still be here with me to hold my hand 33 years later, then with all of my advantages, I could indeed do this, no matter what came next. I am one of the lucky ones. Despite a lifetime of growing up surrounded by the shadow and expectation of breast cancer and walking through the fire since, I have hope for our futures. I see the gaps that still exist, but I also see the evolution against the backdrop of our history. We have the lessons of those who came before, even as we continue to learn from our own. We reap advances in medicine for early stage treatment options, even as we still have so far to go when it comes to stage four needs. We embrace an ever-growing encouragement to live this experience our way, even if that looks different from others in the community or what the world expects. For the women who came before us and endured it all with none of what we have now, I am grateful and saddened. I hope that they know that it was their stories and their needs that taught us we deserve more that cancer culture is something we can own and build to suit our needs and not just something we are handed by the establishment. The more things change, the less they stay the same. And I hope that someday a future generation will marvel at how far they have come in living their breast cancer experiences from the stories we are telling today. Mm, Amy, such a powerful story. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So let's take a little break here for a testimonial and then we'll chat. My name is Angela Furman. I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer when I was 33. And during my treatment, I had started writing a lot to try to heal and find meaning in my experience. And when I found wildfire, I just felt seen and The beautiful and personal stories made me feel safe and emboldened to share my own story. And through being published and writing alongside other women, I've gained so much confidence in my writing and in sharing my story. 
and probably most importantly, Wildfire has allowed me to connect with other women who have inspired me and encouraged me and I know they will be lifelong friends. Thank you so much for the love, Angela. Angela is recently joining me here as part of the Wildfire team. She's helping out with editing the magazine pieces, and I'm so grateful for her willingness to stay in cancer land and help make this experience better for the rest of us. Thanks, Angela. All right, turning back to you, Amy, thank you again for your powerful story and for sharing it here today. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So I started this, um, I started our chat by talking about unique stories, unique breast cancer stories. And you know, because um, full disclosure, we're also friends um, above (laughs) and beyond uh, having you in, in wildfire. But you know that this is a passion of mine is helping people dig down into finding these parts of themselves that are are different in breast cancer. And I do have a lot of people who come through the workshops who say, I'm not special. I don't have a unique story. Breast cancer is breast cancer. But we also have a lot of people who are diagnosed with no family history. And that's one story. We have a lot of people who are diagnosed with a family history and that's their story, one aspect of their story. So I guess I just want to to highlight, you know, that you really dug down into this unique to you story. And I want to ask you, did you always know that this was a unique to you aspect, this how long you've been in cancer land? Or was there a part of you that kind of, you thought this maybe was everyone's experience? You have your mom go through it and then you go through it. Such an interesting question. I, well, I, Intellectually, I knew and I know that most people, most women who are diagnosed with breast cancer do not have a known uh, genetic predisposition, such as like the BRCA mutate, one of the BRCA mutations or one of the other genetic mutations that have been discovered. Um, and I know that, you know, most women don't even have a hereditary component, that that it is indeed kind of a shock or, or seems to come out of nowhere. Um, you know, statistically we know this. So intellectually, I know that, but having only grown up with a grandmother who had breast cancer and when I was even younger and then my mom, um, I guess I never really thought of it as unique. You know, it was, it was the only story I knew. Um, and it also, um, it, it colored the way I see breast cancer because when I talk to people who are surprised by, by, you know, something about breast cancer or breast cancer being in cancer land, I often have this internal reaction of, well, of course, everybody knows that until I realize that most people don't actually. So yeah, it is, it is, I have come to learn that it is a very unique aspect, especially given that I also work in, in cancer land and have for the past 10 plus years. That's right. That's right. We'll get to your work too. But I want to highlight um, something that you just said, or this is more in your story, but but you touched on it here too. And it's interesting to, to have watched a mom be diagnosed young. I think there are a lot of people in our community who've had a mother, a grandmother, an aunt who's had it, but not necessarily 
young. Your mom was even younger than you were when she was diagnosed. But the thing that was really sticking out to me listening to you read your story just now is how for so many, ignorance is a place of a little bit of bliss going through it. But you went through your own cancer experience with your eyes opened in a different way because you had seen your mom going through it. And I also wonder if you gained a greater appreciation for what your mom had experienced as you were going through it from, you know, the advantage of years, you know, you were much older going through it than you had been when you watched her go through it. In particular, I'm thinking about your mom and, and Adramycin. And you have this moment in your story where you talk about them giving her 10 rounds. I only had three and that was, that was enough. I don't think I could have done more. So I'm, I'm in a little bit of horror for your mom and this idea, um, we're just going to try it out. And that you remembered that, um, I, I guess my question is just, you know, did your mom, you and your mom have the opportunity to have some discussions around this? We did. And abs- I, I, yes, I want to emphasize that you are so correct that I could not, I could never have really understood what she went through until I went through a version of it myself. And so I had eight rounds of chemo. I had four rounds of adriamycin, uh, cytoxin, AC, and then four rounds of taxol. So every two weeks, commonly called dose-dense ACT. Um, And I did not have radiation. And you're right. It was hard. I had four rounds of, of the red devil. And it wasn't really till that point that we really started talking about it that I understood. I mean, growing up, I always knew that it was a, for her, it was a horrific experience what my mom went through and, and cancer definitely remained remains as a shadow kind of in, in her past and, and the fear and everything. Um, it wasn't until I went through it that I really started to understand what she went through um, because it was, it was 10 rounds of at the time the combination was AC five FU. So it was a little bit different cocktail and they started her on radiation and she went through, I think she told me it was seven weeks of radiation, five days a week. So yeah, um, I, you know, when I think back to being that age and watching her go through that and, and, and especially in the years since, you know, watching her kind of live with this, this background and, and, and knowing that it terrified her, the idea that, you know, what if she ever had to go through this again, um, I do think that it, in some ways, I don't want to say made it easier for me, but it gave me a perspective that a lot of us don't have, right? Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow. One, obviously what I went through was not nearly as, as hard as what she went through. Um, but also how grateful I am that because of what she went through, it's one of the ways, you know, that's, that's sometimes how medicine goes. It's how they figure out how to get it right so that they aren't just throwing us all um, into, you know, into the bin and, and tossing it around and seeing what happens. Um, so I, I am, I'm, I am saddened for her and grateful for her. Um, and that I have that perspective to really get what, what she went through and how it shaped my own experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the legacy of these women who have gone before us, you're making me think about my grandmother who had early stage breast cancer followed by a recurrence of metastatic breast cancer 10 years later. And, um, 
she really felt like she couldn't go through treatment again. And so she declined at that point. And I'm realizing now that listening to you and listening to your mom's experience that my grandmother probably had a much more rigorous course treatment than, than maybe I did. And the power of telling our stories so that we can gain empathy and knowledge and, you know, share experiences is so profound because like I keep saying, you know, we all have unique experiences. We all have different doctors. We all have different bodies. We all have different ways that our bodies can handle what's laid out for us. Also being diagnosed at different times, you know, science continues to move on. So we need to keep, keep sharing. I I guess this is a good segue into cancer culture. So you wrote your story for this issue, like I said, that we did together, cancer culture. You came to me and said, you know, I think that this would be a really good theme for the magazine. And so I want to ask you what cancer culture means to you. You touched on it in your story, but I wonder if you can expand it, what it means to you, why it was important to dig into these stories for you. It's so interesting because honestly, I would tell you that since we did this issue together, um, I and in the process of of creating it, I think my idea, my definition of cancer culture has evolved, has mm. changed. Um, you know, growing up with the knowledge that it would probably be me one day, and at the same time, in so many ways, only growing up with my mom's experience as um, what I knew of what cancer looked like, you know, breast cancer looked like until I got into to my work. Um, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. You know, I was, I definitely, um, came into my own breast cancer experience in the online world, looking at cancer culture as kind of what was assigned to us with the idea of the pink ribbon and the idea of, you know, like the battle language, like warrior and, and all of, you know, survivor and, um, the fight. And, um, that was just, that was never the way I have, have lived my experience. Um, but what was really wonderful about getting to do this work, this issue and, and, reading so many people's stories and really looking at it from an objective perspective instead of, or, or a more open perspective into other people's stories and the way they, they, you know, used language and, and how they told their stories. Um, it became less about that and it became more about how we live a cancer experience. And, you know, for that, I'm, I'm, I feel lucky that um, I, you know, have come to realize and appreciate that just because something isn't the way I use it or, or express it doesn't mean that it doesn't, doesn't have value or hold a purpose for someone else. And um, again, you know, kind of has allowed me to see the difference between what my mom, how my mom saw it all and how, because of how it happened to her versus, um, the way we are, you know, fortunate enough to have all of these different, um, just these different ways to experience cancer culture and the fact that we get to kind of take it back, you know, that it doesn't have to be just how the world sees us. It gets to be about how we see it and how we tell our stories that makes up, um, 
that makes up a culture that makes up cancer culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and in the issue, you know, we really dig into some of those differences in terms of how how cancer culture, breast cancer culture maybe was for our moms, our grandmothers, et cetera, beyond the treatment stuff we've been talking about today, but just in terms of sharing a story out loud or having cancer become part of an identity or not, you know, things that are feel a little different nowadays where we are finding strength and finding community, we're finding strength in sharing aloud our stories we're finding strength in allowing ourselves to be seen and be visible. And so, yeah, I, I loved doing this issue with you. So I want to segue into the work that you do. We've kind of teased around it a little bit, but for everyone listening who doesn't know Amy, she is a breast cancer recovery educator and survivorship consultant, as well as an oncology massage and lymphatic drainage therapist. She's been an underwriter for many, many issues of wildfire, for which I'm so grateful. Will you tell us a little bit more about your work, Amy? And in particular, one thing I want to highlight is what is oncology massage and what can you tell us about, about that? Absolutely. Uh, Well, um, oncology massage is basically massage therapy, but it is a specialized form of massage. um, And it all revolves around understanding cancer, cancer treatments, the ongoing impacts, impacts that, you know, that cancer treatment leaves, um, and how to take massage therapy and modify it so that it becomes safe, effective, and relevant to someone living with a cancer history, whether it's breast or any other form. And when I went to massage therapy school, um, that's when I discovered that there was this whole subset of this work. And I was just drawn to it because I always knew it could be me one day. Um, and, and the idea, you know, at that time, even I, I remember thinking back to my mom and going, God, if only she had had this type of comforting support, you know, this type of, um, integrative of care that could have maybe made it all, all of that, you know, treatment a little bit easier on her. And so I have been practicing oncology massage therapist for 10 years. Um, and I had just received my certification in lymphatic manual lymphatic drainage to support that work when I got my own diagnosis. And now, what I while I still have a practice, a hands-on practice in Buffalo, New York, uh, one of the things that I'm working on is taking basically the work I do in my studio around lymphatic drainage and lymph- lymph- lymphedema care, um, massage there, you know, massage for scars, and really the subtle but profound work of rebuilding the mind-body connection that comes through caring touch and taking that and turning it into a self-care format because that was something else that I had that most people who go through breast cancer or any cancer experience aren't, you know, don't get is I had this, this body of training education and experience that I could use for myself, both through diagnosis and treatment and beyond. And um, so now my work is, is really focusing on, helping women impacted by breast cancer use self-care strategically and in a safe, effective, and relevant format. Because there's something very empowering about being able to 
care for yourself, right? And rebuild that self-reliance um, and reduce that dependency. You know, so much is taken away from us in a, in a cancer experience. And I find that, um, you know, when you, when you begin to look at your own body and how you can reconnect and, and nurture and care for your own body, you, you gain a lot back. You gain a lot of choice, you gain a lot of independence, and you gain a lot of confidence back. Hmm. I'm so glad to know that you're out there doing this work, Amy, for your clients. For people listening, I wonder if you, um, let me just back that up and just say lymphedema is an area of, of post-cancer or post-breast cancer life that I think remains even today shrouded in some mystery. I know for me, my, the message I got from my doctors was we'll address that when that becomes a reality for you, as opposed to, um, preventative. And I had to really push for, for help with, um, with massage and, um, drainage and all of that, because I didn't want lymphedema to be something I didn't, I didn't want it to have to be a foregone conclusion. So I just wonder if you have any tips you might share, I'm putting you a little on the spot, but any tips you might share today about lymphedema, anything you want the community to know or anything you might suggest in terms of empowerment? Yeah. Well, I, you know, kind of goes back for a lot of us of the generation of the more, you know, those Saturday morning, that Saturday morning cartoon message. Um, yeah, knowledge is power. And, you know, I think the really important, there's there's two sides to the same coin. And that is that, unfortunately, almost every person who goes through a breast cancer experience has some risk of lymphedema because of um, the treatments we go through, um, you know, like sentinel node biopsy, lymph node removal, uh, and or radiation therapy. Um, and that all creates a, me- a mechanical compromise, like a, the damages the lymphatic system. But the alternate side to that coin is that lymphedema is not a foregone conclusion. Um, and that, you know, the more you know about the lymphatic system, how it works, and what some of the potential concerns are like different triggers that could create the lymphedema issue, um, the more opportunity you have to actually reduce that, that risk, right? Like the more, the more, you know, about how to care for your body, the more opportunity you have to, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's avoid certain activities or as I prefer, learn how to modify and work with and around certain activities so that you can still enjoy them. Um, you know, you really don't have to live by a do or don't list uh, when it comes to lymphedema. It's really more about understanding the, the, the way, the why it happens, how it happens, and then how to go about and take, you know, take appropriate precautions so that you can still live your life without the fear. Um, the, 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 the best Thing I can offer, like the, the the just the number one thing I can offer, honestly, is find a lymphedema therapist in your area and go for a baseline consultation. Hopefully, you'll never have to worry about actually going through any kind of treatment. But you know, going for a baseline edu- a baseline consultation, get some initial education. They take measurements, they give you some info, um, and then from there you know, it's up to you if you choose to pursue further training or, or, um, information and education, like what I offer around, um, how to do self-care 
for, for lymphedema risk. You know how to reduce that risk of if you're already dealing with a diagnosis, how to manage that, that diagnosis. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just knowing that, knowing that you have risk and then knowing that there's things you can do to, to reduce it is the most empowering thing. No woman should ever, ever have to, you know, end up with a lymphedema diagnosis, not even knowing it could happen to her. Mm-hmm. That's just unfair. It is. It is unfair. So the business that you run is called As We Are Now. I almost left off the now. It's important. <laughs> As We Are Now. Um, is this part of, of what you offer clients? You know, if someone needs help finding um, their their local resources, is that part of the yep. coaching that you offer? Absolutely. So I I offer lymphatic self-care education um, in a one-to-one coaching format currently. I also offer what I call self-care strategy sessions. And basically, we can look at pretty much any area of your life. We pick a couple different areas um, that you, you know, goals that you want to focus on or um, areas of your life that have been impacted by breast cancer. And Together, we go through things like, you know, what your needs are, um, your values, your budget, and then we kind of work to prioritize them. And then I provide you recommendations and resources so that you don't have to go down the internet rabbit hole and figure out, you know, if it's somebody like a a local practitioner in your area, you don't have to go down the internet rabbit hole figuring out, well, who can you trust and who's got the right credentialing um, and you know, and, or it can, it can also be things online, you know, anything that you need as far as, um, how to be more involved in your own self-care needs. And when I say self-care, obviously I'm not talking about, um, things like, you know, spa days and bubble baths and naps and pedicures, although those are phenomenal and I highly recommend them. Um, I talk, I'm, I'm talking more about what I refer to as informed self-care, meaning that, it meets your, you know, it's going to further your goals, like meet whatever your needs are. It's going to actually um, align with your interests, your values, your budget, things that are very important to ensure that it, it you stick with it. And it's going to be relevant to your experience as someone who has been affected by breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And highly, highly personalized. And it all comes yes. back to that unique story, right? Ugh. Exactly. Love exactly. It. Because, you know, we can have a thousand people have the same diagnosis, have the same treatment protocol, and you still have a thousand people with a, a completely unique breast cancer experience, right? Because we're all individuals. So no one ever lives it just the way we do. Mm-mm. And it's all valid and all important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Amy, where can people find you online and learn more about as we are now? Uh, the easiest place is amyhartle.com. And, uh, yep, you can find me there. Feel free to contact me. I am on Instagram as well, although I'm on a little bit of a, a little bit of a vacation break right now, but, um, yeah, amyhartle.com has uh, my contact info as well as everything you need to know about, about the work I offer. Excellent. And we'll be sure to link to that. Well, thank you again, Amy, for this discussion and for reading your story. I really have loved having you here today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was really special to get to tell the story um, and telling it actually even changed the way I relate to that memory. So it's an honor. Mm, I love those layers of storytelling and, you know, writing it, sharing it, speaking it aloud. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, thank you, Amy. So today's writer and guest was Amy Hartle. Her piece was called The More Things Change, The Less They Stay the Same. You can find it in the February-March 2022 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Cancer Culture. Amy's on the cover of that, so be sure to check that out. Thank you so much. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 37 issues in the Wildfire Archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a Wildfire Writing Workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story, and don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, today's prompt is this. My unique story is, my unique story is, we've been talking so much about how each person carries a unique aspect of their breast cancer experience within them. But sometimes we don't know what that is until we sit down and really look at it. So I want you to spend eight minutes today writing without stopping or editing on your unique breast cancer story. See what needs to come out and where it will take you next. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.